Welcome to TechnoViews, a new series of podcasts with major figures in the humanities and social sciences on topics at the intersection between techno-science, culture, and society in Asia and the world. My name is Jun Zhang. I am an assistant professor at City University of Hong Kong. In this podcast, it's our pleasure to have Dr. Gonzalo Santos from University of Coimbra in Portugal. Dr. Santos is a social culture anthropologist who has done extensive research on family, technology, and social transformation. His latest publication is Chinese Village Life Today, Building Families in an Age of Transition, with the University of Washington Press in 2021. Hi, Gonzalo. Welcome to TechnoViews. Hi, June. Um, thank you so much for your invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. Congratulations uh, on your book. I really enjoy reading it. I'm quite curious while I'm reading your book, what drove you, a foreigner who had spent his life in cities to the countryside in China in the ni- late 1990s? Why not stay in cities like Guangzhou or Shenzhen? What in the countryside intrigued you? Well, at the time, the late 90s, I was in my 20s. I was looking for a uh, an out-of-the-box fieldwork experience that completely challenged my own sort of normative understandings of everyday life. And at the same time, debates on um, Chinese society within the anthropology of China still were under the influence of earlier studies on uh, Chinese rural society, amongst which I would probably highlight a famous book by Chinese anthropologist Fei Xiaotong, Xiangtu Zhongkuo, Earthbound China, in which she sort of makes the case that, you know, Chinese society is fundamentally rural. And if you want to understand China, Chinese civilization, you have to uh, make sense of um, Chinese rural society as well. But by the late 90s, uh, many things had changed in China. And so I kind of wondered as I entered into a newly opened, uh, engaging with the global capitalist system kind of China, you know, what happened to face earthbound China in this new kind of environment? How is rural society being transformed in the face of um, fast-paced industrialization, urbanization, and also globalization? Uh, what kind of transition was occurring in the countryside? And of course, you know, one obvious transition to someone um, coming to China was the growth of the city, the city environment. I mean, the increasing subordination of the national economy to, the, to urban growth and development and the role the countryside played in feeding that development with cheap labor and cheap resources. Um, by the turn of the millennium, China was becoming an urban-based society where the majority of the population was urban. The dominant institutions were also urban. The media were urban-based. So were the regional governments. And um, these governments, by the uh, 90s, when I arrived in China, were starting to become the focal point of increasingly intrusive, um, technocratic forms of governance that were sort of meant to reform rural populations, eradicate backward customs, 
and turn peasants into sort of modern civilized subjects. So why should people care about village life today? Since you just mentioned, China today is rapidly urbanizing. The rural populations is moving towards cities. So many aspects of rural life has been restructured, as you mentioned, by governments that is very much urban-based, urban-centered. What kind of insight can we gain by learning about lives in the countryside then? Well, I think that, you know, rural China remains a significant part of Chinese society. We're talking about a population the size of uh, the European Union. So I would say that the significance, first of all, is demographic. Uh, The significance of the countryside is also um, political and economic. I mean, the countryside plays a key role in the development of uh, cities. So it's extremely important to understand what is happening to uh, village life and how those transformations can actually affect um, the wider the wider society, and that includes uh, cities. Uh, China, I have been, I make the case in my book, has been undergoing a technocratic transition, and by that I mean that um, you know the government and um, other. Uh, organizations, uh, societal organizations, have been engaging, pushing for programs of societal reform that are based on notions of scientific planning and management that are based on, you know, quite often on one-dimensional developmental goals. I mean, my book looks at a different aspect of this uh, technocratic, uh, different aspects of this uh, technocratic transition is each chapter focused on a different aspect of this technocratic transition from housing and spatial mobility to family planning, uh, childbirth, parenting, personal hygiene and public sanitation, also ethics and popular uh, religion. I mean, one of the findings uh, that of the book is that although this technocratic transition has not completely destroyed local frameworks of governance based on kinship and territorial affiliations, it has weakened significantly these frameworks, leading to an increasing sense of fragmentation in the countryside and also a sense of loss of autonomy that will have important implications for the future uh, governance of China. Well, it's very interesting you keep using the word technocratic. Um, In fact, um, the one key word in your book is technology. When people talked about the countryside, they would probably think about rituals, agricultural, authentic lifestyles, so on and so forth. Technology is not exactly what many people would associate with the countryside. So why technology? What do you mean by technology? Well, I think technology and technocracy are two words that are um, very closely related. In the book, I use technology as a way to talk about the rise of increasingly powerful uh, technocratic forms of governance. I mean, what do I mean by technocratic forms of governance? They are forms of government that use science and technology as uh, major sources of authority. And of course, the Chinese government 
has long defined science and technology as a key principle of governance. Um, but I think the alliance between bureaucracy and technocracy in China has become particularly powerful in the last uh, four decades. We can see this by the reach of programs of reforms. I mean, take the example of childbirth that I give in my book. Um, you know, the first programs of uh, childbirth reform, childbirth medicalization in China, uh, go back to 100 years ago. But, you know, percentage of women giving birth in hospitals was still very low. We had to wait really by towards the end of the century, of the 20th, 20th century, to have the majority of Chinese women giving birth uh, in, uh, in hospitals. Uh, this suggests that we are now fully living in a technocratic society, you know, the, a society dominated by, uh, by science uh, and technology. Um, my understanding of technology also has to, um, I have to make a qualification here. I'm not talking just about machines and equipment. I'm not just talking about, you know, uh, applied uh, forms of science. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not using the term technology in this sort of more conven conventional and sort of narrow sense, too centered on ideologies of innovation. I'm drawing on critical conceptualizations of the notion of technology coming from um, science and technology studies, STS scholarship. So I use technology to refer to, um, you know, to ways of doing things. And I use the notion of socio-technical systems in the sense of assemblages of things, people, ideals, artifacts, machines, uh, you know, non-human beings, um, that, you know, assemblages that are meant to secure some kind of result in the conduct of everyday life. I think socio-technical systems are everywhere in everyday life. And if we want to understand changes in everyday life, we need to understand how changes in those socio-technical systems um, occur and what happens, for example, when specialists and programs di dictated by specialists becomes, becomes the, 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 the guidelines for how people should conduct uh, their business, you know. And, uh, you know, my book is really about this, uh, uh, looking at this transformation from the perspective of ordinary citizens and communities. Fascinating. So it seems that you're using the term technology to refer to ways of human making and life making. Your book is a product of 20 years of observations, formal interviews, casual chatting, gossiping, participant observation, living there, working the fields, and moving around with your informants. The villages you have been documenting have been changing. What about you? How about your views about lives in the countryside or China in general? How do they change over the period? I think my views have changed dramatically, and I think these changes probably have to do with the fact that I have, you know, my research is longitudinal, right, as you were saying, and so uh, that means that I have been confronted with dramatic transformations uh, or different realities of village life uh, over, over time. I mean, I've experienced a shift, a dramatic shift from a modality of sociality in which villagers hang out uh, every day, during the day, during the night, chit-chatting, uh, you know, a lot of gossip, intense 
exchanges, uh, uh, you know, face-to-face -face exchanges and so on and so forth to a mode, to a more translocal modality of uh, sociality, whereby people hang out together, uh, you know, maybe two or three times a day face-to-face -face in uh, moments of ritual and, and, and so on. So the, uh, my observation and confrontation with declining structures of tight-knit solidarity have probably prompted me to move from a more sort of romantic view of the countryside to one that is more, uh, more and more focused on um, processes of disruption and enemy, which, you know, are really part of uh, the, the, the times that we're living in, times of increasing social and also environmental, environmental uncertainties. Talking about changes in a period of over 20 years sounds almost like a bit cliché. What really intrigues me is what has not changed? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I think that um, many, uh, one of the things that has not changed for me, it strikes me, is the persistent gap and uh, institutionalized divide between rural and urban areas. Uh, one of the things that left uh, the deepest impression in me uh, back in the late 90s when I first arrived in the countryside was a sense of incredulity on the part of villagers. Um, when I told them that I was coming to the countryside, would like to live in their village and learn uh, their ways of, uh, their mode of life and learn how to farm the fields. They could not just believe it. They thought that I was completely nuts because in their minds, in their mindset, it was totally um, not conceivable that someone coming from urban areas wanted to learn anything from peasant populations. I think this gap that was very much um, alive and, and, uh, and quite strong in the late 90s still persists today, despite an increasingly open society, an increasingly mobile society, where the structures of division, rural-urban division, are no longer operating by means of spatial confinement, but by, by means of social confinement. In those 20 years of fewer, there must be a lot of challenges. Can you tell us one or two episodes, one or two challenges that you have encountered during your field work? Yeah, many challenges uh, during the course of field work. Um, the very beginning, of course, um, the process of selecting the field site, getting permission to stay in the rural areas at the time in which it was very uh, it's a very new thing to have foreigners coming to China, visiting China. It was quite um, a dramatic experience. And um, um, I remember, for example, being detained for questioning in the market town of the place in which I was doing fieldwork because police officers were obviously not very clear about my situation, what, what, what I was doing. They were worried not just about my security and my safety as a visitor, but also about the security of the local population. This, of course, led to a series of very interesting negotiations that I recorded in my field notes, uh, but that were eventually overcome 
uh, and I had to then start building the complex process of building trust with villagers, which is always not easy for anthropologists. It's something that it's quite common in the course of fieldwork in tight-knit communities that you have to earn people's trust, and that can take quite a long time. Well, um, 20 years fewer must allow you to accumulate a lot of materials. And among all the materials you did not include in the book, can you share with us ones that you would like to include in the book, but for various reasons could not? I think two things come to my mind at this moment. I mean, one would be to include more uh, reflections or critical reflections on practices of governance and even different levels of government, local and central, coming from uh, peasant populations, from villagers, and, um, you know, to kind of uh, tease out the implications of these uh, critical remarks. I could have uh, included these remarks, and to some extent I have included some of these critical remarks, but I would like to explore more of these um, criticisms in, um, in a future, in a future um, writing uh, project. Another thing that I would like to, uh, to, to include, and you know, could not for reasons of space really, was the, is the, you know, to, to, to bring to the, to the text a more, more vivid descriptions of interactions as captured, for example, in um, field notes that I wrote in the course of fieldwork during the last 20 years. I would have liked to include, include these vivid descriptions because I think they help capture a little bit better the complexities of doing fieldwork and also the anecdotic kind of elements involved in interactions between the anthropologist on the one hand and his or her interlocutors um, uh, in the field. But it's something that I will probably develop also in the forthcoming book, book project based on my, on my field notes. Well, I really look forward to reading your next book. Thank you very much for sharing with us today, Gonzalo. Thank you so much, June, once again for the invitation. It was lovely to talk to you. You are listening to Dr. Santosh talking about his book, Chinese Village Life Today, Building Families in an Age of Transition, published by University of Washington Press in 2021. Thank you for joining us today. Hope to see you soon.